Hello and welcome back to the podcast. The Sermon on the Mount represents one of Jesus' most powerful and probably influential blocks of teaching that still challenges the reader just as much today as it would have 2,000 years ago. So we're going to take the next several weeks to methodically unpack Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we'd like to invite you to join us on that journey. If you have any more questions about the Traders Point Church of Christ, please visit our website at traderspointchurch.org, and you can also find us on Facebook and YouTube as well. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. We want to thank everyone for joining us today. We're beginning a, a new series of study that'll take place really over the next several weeks is we're going to dive into the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7 specifically and look at the teaching that takes place within those chapters. The Sermon on the Mount is uh, arguably some of the most well-known teachings of Jesus even still today, largely because of just how foundational much of what he has to say in these chapters really proved to be. And so I think it'll be a good study for us. So Jeremy and I are going to take some time over the next few weeks to unpack all of what Jesus has to say uh, throughout these chapters. And we're going to begin with what's commonly known as the Beatitudes today. But before we just dive into that study, Jeremy, why don't you kind of set the stage for us just a little bit, give us a little bit of context as to where we are as uh, Jesus begins this teaching here in Matthew chapter 5. Yeah, when we think about, uh, you know, this is in a lot of ways a, a passage that probably a lot of people are familiar with. Um, we'll spend a lot of time dealing with it. it. It is, it seems contextually, as we'll read here in just a second at the very beginning of chapter 5, uh, a series of teachings that Jesus gives at one place at one time to this one group of people. Now, I think as we go through the other Gospels, I think it's clear that these are similar kinds of teachings that he will give in other places at other times. And so these are not, you know, standalone kind of things. He'll spend some more time in different places talking about different things. But I think when we're thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, there's really two things to kind of keep in mind. The first is it really tends to point towards maybe somewhat early on in Jesus' ministry, but him painting the picture of, if you're going to be one of my followers, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, or to be a citizen in my kingdom, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the phraseology that he'll use. Here are some things that you need to be thinking about. These are what citizens of my kingdom look like, followers of mine, attitudes that they need to uh, portray, uh, certainly actions that they need to be involved in. So if you're going to be a follower of mine, in a lot of ways, this is what that looks like. And so that's important to keep in mind. Secondly, I think it's important to keep in mind, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, as we go along. These are very odd-sounding teachings for this time period. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll read these passages, and they're familiar to us, so we lose sight of just how difficult this level of teaching is or how no one is teaching in the way that Jesus is teaching here. And so I think it's important for us to keep that in mind as well, probably something that we'll be able to continue to talk about as we move along. But, you know, number one, if you're going to be a follower of mine, here are some things to think about. And then secondly, keep in mind that this is some, some pretty unique level of teaching, really like lots of Jesus' teaching was. 
Yep. Well, with that in mind, let, let's read these first 12 verses together, and then we'll dive into uh, what Jesus is saying here. So in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So one of the things that really stands out to me when I read the first part of, of chapter 5 is exactly what you said at the very beginning as you were setting the context for this, and that is how countercultural these types of statements are and how unusual it would have sounded 2,000 years ago and how unusual it even sounds still today when you read through some of these things and think about the poor in spirit inheriting the kingdom of heaven and the meek and all of these characteristics that we don't necessarily apply to people who are victorious or who are wealthy or who are inheriting. Those aren't, those aren't terms that we typically apply to people who are in that state of life, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Now, he's wanting us to think spiritually about these things, but the challenge of thinking about being meek and the challenge of thinking about being merciful, and those are the qualities that Jesus is looking for and those who are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those challenges remain just as real today as I'm sure they would have been for the people who are hearing this for the first time back when Jesus was doing this teaching. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. We, we've talked about how shocking almost this kind of teaching was going to be. And it's right out of the shoot, right? I mean, yeah. he's saying, listen, blessed or happy, we'll often talk about, you know, that this is kind of the idea of this word. But, you know, you have this blessed are the ones who are poor in spirit. Well, that, that doesn't sound right. Blessed are those that mourn. Uh, that doesn't sound right. Blessed are those who are hungering. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't sound right. And certainly at the very end of this, Blessed are the ones who are persecuted. Well, that, 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 does, that doesn't sound right. I mean, so you, you have right at the very beginning, you're right, this counterculture. That it, it, it's almost going to be shocking in a, in a way that he says this and he's painting this picture that if this is something that you can choose to do, there's rewards that mm-hmm. come from that. If this yep. is an attitude that you can adopt, th- there's good that comes out, not, not just for you, but even for the people around you, that this is a better way. And, you know, that's the one thing we talk a lot about, you know, with Jesus and with God. And it, it is their way. It is not just, you know, their, uh, you know, crazy dictators who just want to have it their way and that's just the way it goes. Well, no, God's way is the best way for us. Yeah. And he knows that because he created us. And so when he has uh, rules and regulations, when he has attitudes, when he causes us to be thinking about things, 
it's also what is better for us. And so this way of living, certainly when dealing with persecution that's going to come, this way is what's best for us, even if it seems very counterproductive to what culture certainly says. Yeah, and I think that becomes even more evident as Jesus' teaching progresses throughout his ministry. I think these these first few verses, in a lot of ways— is Jesus laying a foundation for what he's going to build his ministry upon and and really what he's going to build his kingdom upon that he's talking here in Matthew chapter 5. These are the kinds of people that are going to be a part of the kingdom that he is building. And that that is becomes more and more evident as time passes. But even with that type of language, we have to remember that there are a lot of people during this time period who still think that Jesus is here to establish a physical kingdom and he's going to establish some sort of physical army to overthrow the Roman government. And so that would make this type of language even a little bit more challenging for them as they're trying to still wrestle with some of those things as well. And so I think where this teaching takes place in Jesus's ministry is really important now, again, as you mentioned, I think much of the, the teaching that we see over these three chapters, he will reiterate that multiple times in multiple different places, and even some of the other gospel writers allude to that. But if this is in a chronological order of some sort here in, in the Gospel of Matthew, then this is taking place very early on in his ministry. And I think whether or not that's, that is actually the case, I think certainly this type of teaching was 100% taking place very early on in Jesus' ministry because it's laying the foundation that he's going to need to establish in order to build upon some of these principles later on. Yeah, there's, I mean, it, it's interesting when you start to look at all of these things listed out. I mean, all of these are heart things, right? Yeah. It, it's not necessarily about actions. It is about your heart, right? You want to make sure your heart is where it needs to be. And if your heart is where it needs to be, that's going to lead to, to the right kinds of actions, right? And so, you know, what's interesting to me, and and I think you're right on the money, that this is very foundational to almost where he's going to go, not just in all of his teaching, but just specifically in this sermon, Mm -hmm. as we'll say. In these three chapters, he'll lean back on this idea about heart. And what's really interesting, you know, we keep talking about how new this probably sounded for them, and and it most certainly did, but he'll make the point as he goes on, this isn't necessarily new. Right. You know, he kind of makes the point that this is the idea that God had even from the very beginning. He's always wanted the heart. Now, man has moved away from that, mm-hmm. and the Jews specifically has moved away from that. But Jesus will make the point that this is what God has always wanted. He's always wanted the heart. And so what Jesus is doing is really directing man back to that. Don't think so much about your actions. You think about your heart, and the actions will take care of themselves. But we get so wrapped up into looking good for other people right on the outside, but Jesus is now focusing on the inside, and each and every one of these things points to that. It is about the inside, and you make sure your inside is where it needs to be. Everything else then will take care of itself. Yeah, and I think when you see some of these in particular, like there's a couple that just you know really stand out based on what you just said. For instance, in, in verse 6, "'Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness.'" Now, typically, you would think of someone who hungers and thirsts as someone who is poor and in need. And and Jesus is saying, yes, that's exactly what I want you to think about. 
I want you to be so in need of what I have, to, <clears throat> so in need of what I have to say, so in need of the gospel message that I'm bringing to you, that the only way that you can be filled is through my teaching. That's that's the way he wants us to think about what we're doing when we approach him. And so to your point, that can only come from the heart. That has to be something that every single individual struggles with and decides whether or not they're going to take on this kind of a mantra in their lives. Am I going to be so in need of what Jesus has to say that I can say that I am hungering and thirsting after what he has to say, and the only way that I can be filled is through his words. That, that's the way we have to think day in and day out, and that, that is a, both a decision that we have to make each day, and it's also something that we have to constantly be reminding ourselves of, because especially in our culture today, it's very easy to look around and think, I'm in need of nothing I, I can provide for myself. I don't need anything. My family doesn't need anything. We're good. And Jesus is saying you have to wake up every single day and think about the fact that you need something from me. And the same could be you could go down this entire list and, and have that type of a conversation with yourself that this is something I have to examine myself in regards to every single day and make a decision. Am I going to be meek today? Am I going to be pure in heart today? Am I going to be a peacemaker today? Those are, are questions that we literally could ask ourselves every morning we wake up because we have to make that decision day in and day out if I'm going to be the type of person that Jesus is describing here. Yeah, and I think if we adopt those attitudes, they're going to make a difference in our life, and they can make a difference pretty quickly. You know, one one interesting thing about this list is— you know, for us to consider that, listen, all of these things are tied together. I mean, that, that ultimately is the key. It's not one, then the other, then the other. All of these things are tied together. And what I find really interesting, I've, ta- I've thought about this more and more really lately, is that when you get down to verse 10, all, you know, all of these things sound very similar, right? Blessed are whatever, and then there is a, a benefit, you know, that's kind of listed after that. And, and that, you know, follows that pattern all the way from verse 3 all the way to verse 10. But it's like when he gets to verse 10, he expounds upon that mm-hmm. in verses 11 and 12. And, you know, I was starting to think about, you know, specifically there in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted. That does sound a little bit different than a peacemaker or a gentle or meek or poor in spirit or those that mourn. It does have a little bit different feel. But, you know, when I was really beginning to look at it, this is a problem that people would be thinking about. They would be looking that, listen, if I'm following Jesus and I'm persecuted because of that, how do I deal with that, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we want to know. We want to know how do, I, how, do I handle, how do I handle this level of persecution? And he's pretty clear about it. Listen, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be, he makes mention of reviling, people saying evil against you, but he says, you can rejoice. You can handle this. You can, you can mm-hmm. handle this. And it's almost like the way that you handle it is being pure in heart, yeah. being meek, being a peacemaker, being merciful. It's like all of these attitudes are the things that make a difference in our life. And he gives us an example of that. When you're persecuted, you, you, you exhibit, you put on display all of these incredible attitudes. And even in the midst of persecution, you can still rejoice because you're 
core in spirit. Your understanding, your focus is where it needs to be. And I think it's interesting then how all of these things really tie together. And I think you're right. You may mention of it earlier. It's almost like as we continue to go through the rest of chapter 5 and then chapter 6 and then chapter 7, we're going to always be able to point back to this as really the foundation in a lot of ways. You know, we just finished up a, a series where we were talking about being a soldier for Christ. And one of the things we talked about when we looked into Ephesians chapter 6 is that God has equipped us and prepared us in every way for the battle that we're going to face. And I think when you were just talking, that's exactly what I was thinking about here at the beginning of chapter 5. All of these things equip us and prepare us for the persecution that we're going to face as followers of Christ. And, And so in a lot of ways, Jesus is doing here what God has always done, and that is prepare those who are his for the hardship that they're going to encounter. He's, he's done that since the very beginning of time. Every, every time someone has encountered hardship, if they look to God, he will prepare them for whatever they need in that moment. And that's exactly what Jesus is, is doing here. I think you make a good point as he talks about the persecution that they're going to face. Listen, if you're poor in spirit, if you mourn, if you're meek, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness— those these are the things that will prepare you so that you can withstand that pers- persecution and not just withstand it, but actually find joy in that persecution because you have molded and shaped your life in the way that Jesus is describing here. And so in a lot of ways, this is Jesus, again, at the outset of his ministry, describing how he's going to prepare those who are going to be his followers. And it's going to happen because you're going to look different. And that, in essence, is a big part of what this sermon is about. Listen, a huge section coming up not soon after this, he's going to paint the picture in a pretty radical way. The world operates this way, but my followers will operate this way over here. And he paints two very different pictures, and he talks about lots of different things. And it's that same thing over and over. The world will operate this way, but I'm going to ask you to operate this way. And so when you begin to stand out Mm -hmm. in culture— That's when persecution comes. And nobody stood out more than Jesus. Nobody stood out more than the prophets, who he made mention of specifically here. And so you're right. It is a preparation in every way for his disciples to not just handle it, but thrive in the midst of it. And I think that is not just a huge story here in Matthew chapter 5, but really becomes a huge story in the book of Acts. And really in a lot of ways, even the epistles, you see the apostle Paul, it's not just about handling difficulty. It's about thriving in the face of difficulty, and that only comes with the preparation or following the preparation given to us here. Yeah, well, that's a good place to stop for today. Again, we're going to be spending several weeks going through the Sermon on the Mount, so hopefully you can join us for those studies. We'll pick up in verse number 13 next week, and we hope you can join us then.